It's time for episode 82 of the Clockwise podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, April 8th, 2015. Clockwise, four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast where it's springtime almost. I'm your co-host Dan Morin in the decidedly frigid lands of New England, despite that springtime admonition. And joining me across the continent, as always, is Mr. Jason Snow. I don't know about always. We haven't been on Clockwise together for a couple of weeks, Dan, but it's good to be back. I'm telling everybody it's always. There has been no service interruption. And we'll never, we'll never be apart again, except that you, except for the next two weeks, too. But that's okay. Uh, you know, Clockwise is all about the variety of our guests, and guest, guest uh, hosts and extra guests are all part of that, too. So. We are glad, speaking of guests, to have two excellent guests mm. with us here today. To my left is a man you might know. He's been on Clockwise before. He also co-hosts the Rebound podcast, a very, very good technology podcast. Mr. Lex Friedman. That's John Moltz's podcast, right? <laughs> Starring John Moltz. Lex Friedman is just a side player and that John other guy. John Moltz was Nobody not available yeah. for Clockwise today. Sorry yeah. about that. And to my left is Christina Bonington, formerly of Wired, always of the Ginger cast, maybe, but you, you've got a new thing. What are you doing now? Yes, I'm the I'm the technology editor at um, a, a women's focused lifestyle site called Refinery Twenty Nine. Awesome, that's awesome. Well, welcome back. It's great to have you back. All right, we will kick off our discussion of four technology topics today with me because I introduced the show today. Yeah. Uh, so there was a leaked memo uh, supposedly from the new Apple. Uh, she's not that new, but the the Apple retail chief Angela Arendt. Uh, trying to say that there, as a policy change, Apple retail employees should discourage people from sleeping outside Apple stores and lining up in advance of new product releases. Um, so people think maybe this is a good idea or a bad idea. Have you ever like lined up or slept outside of an Apple store or other store or pretty much anything in anticipation of a product release? Or is that something that we leave for the plebs? And, and is this a, a, a publicity, a pub, like a good thing for publicity or a bad thing for Apple publicity? Lex Friedman, tell me what you think. Uh, I have never lined up at an Apple store ever. Um I did on the launch of the iPhone 3G, I went past the line to pick up my first ever iPod touch. Um, so that was exciting, but I never, I never queued in an Apple store. I think that, um, I get why Apple wants to do it because the, most of the people there's, there's certainly people in line outside the Apple store on launch days because they want to get the new hotness, but it's there's way too much of you know i'm doing this because i want to sell it at a profit at a markup or i want to buy as many as apple will allow me to and take them to countries where this device isn't for sale yet and make a profit that way and that's it's not good it's not what it's about so i think that they're smart to say order these things online and don't line up outside the store you weirdos i think that's smart yeah there was a time when you needed to line up i guess if you wanted to get one because there weren't pre-orders and the demand was expected to be huge although even for the original iPhone, I remember a story about how a relief pitcher for a local Major League Baseball team, he he actually got this. I think he got the save. He might have blown the save and lost the game. But after the game, on the day that the iPhone came out, he just went down to the Apple store. So right before closing and walked right in and picked up a new iPhone. So I question whether this was ever really necessary. And the fact is now, I mean, Lex, Lex mentioned most of the reasons why people stay in line, gray market and things like that. It's also to be on TV, right? To be in 
interviewed yeah. because you're in the line. It's like a stunt kind of thing. And uh, I I think it's great that that Apple is going to try to encourage people to not line up because I think it's kind of ridiculous. It's mostly self promotion that's happening now. I don't think it actually reflects well on Apple. I think it makes Apple it reinforces the kind of crazy Apple user cult kind of stories that are not something that Apple really needs right now. So yeah, I agree. I think it's a, I think it's a good move. The last time that I went and like interviewed people that were waiting in line before the Apple Store opened, um, it must have been like a recent like iPad launch or something. Half the people there were like Task Rabbit people that other people that were actually like at their work hired to wait in line for them. And then the other half were definitely people that were going to just buy a bunch of iPhones or iPads or whatever and then and then sell them later. Uh, it wasn't, you know, the, the, the diehard fanboys that were waiting in line so, so excited about the product. And, uh, you know, it made it hard to walk down the sidewalk if you were, you know, if you were just trying to get around Union Square in San Francisco. Yeah, I, I sort of echo what you guys are all saying. I, I don't think that waiting in line uh, really does much for Apple. I, I agree with Jason that it reinforces a bad stereotype or like sort of that weird dualist like, oh, you are super nerdy people who are super elite. and Therefore, you don't have to go to work. You can wait in line for four hours. That's so to buy a luxury product. And the idea of sort of the the zealotry religious overtones that people like criticizing Apple for. I've I've waited in line a few times, always for things for you know for when we used to work at MacWorld, getting phones so I could get hands on and start working on them. Um, but I've switched mostly to online delivery. I will say, at the risk of dating myself as an old fogey, that the uh, the best line I ever uh, did not wait in but interviewed people in was a line at the Apple Store for people who were buying. Um, OS 10.5 Leopard and people were really <laughs> oh, excited wow. about getting Time Machine and I'm like the days when people lined up for OS 10 releases that was good that was great because that you know those people were there for like you know they weren't just like oh there's a shiny thing it's like oh new software They're, those were the super nerds cardboard Loved box it. yeah the best with a disc in it yeah. uh, those were the days well thank you all for sharing and weighing in on that topic Mr. Friedman do you have a topic I want to talk about Periscope and uh, we'll include Meerkat just because I feel so sorry for those guys now. But the the question I have is periscoping, doing this live video streaming from your phone with no setup and people can instantly and immediately join and watch you do whatever you want. I, I just started dabbling in it a week ago, which I guess is barely soon after the app launched. And it's a lot of fun. It's kind of addictive. Do you think it's going to either overtake podcasting or simply be huge as a as a means of entertainment slash communication? I think uh, I feel like podcasting is is different because it's on demand. I do wonder if uh, one of the future directions of Periscope and or Meerkat is uh, you know a little more organization. So these are like live uh, video video broadcasts that are then you can subscribe to them and play them back later forever rather than like having them expire after a short amount of time. I, I kind of like the idea since they're live and people are commenting on them, being able to play them back later and see the comments as they're being played back. So it, like, it's like you're participating. Um, I think that's all. I think that could be really interesting as a, as a different way to generate video. I, I do feel like because it's live, um, you, you're going to get all of the terrible things about the internet. that are, that are. <laughs> and I've already heard that this is starting to happen where there are people doing horrible things 
streams live on Periscope, but more to the point, horrible people rush to live Periscope streams in order to say horrible things. So there are a lot of issues there. But I do think it's interesting. I did one um, at uh, at Twit with Leo Laporte. We did a after a show was over, he turned on Meerkat, and we were like walking backstage and having having some lunch afterward, like cold cuts and and stuff. And people were asking us questions, and I thought to myself, okay, one, this is weird because I was just on a show for two hours, and now I'm still on a show, uh, and I thought I was done. But but two, it's like. Um, I don't know. There was something about it that I thought to myself, this is kind of a thing. This is really interesting that that this is a little more like uh, for the hardcore fans, like behind the scenes and and it's more interactive. And I, I think there's something I think there's something to that. So I think it's going to be a thing, but I don't think it's the same thing as podcasting is what I would say. Yeah, I agree as well. I think it, it's it's a cool tool to augment, you know, podcasting other and other forms of media, but I don't think it'll necessarily replace it. Um, I, yeah, I think it's a lot more more intimate than, you know, something that's more produced, um, like a podcast or, you know, video or normal video coverage, because it's live, it's happening right then. And I feel like, I feel like people are kind of digging that. And it's, and it's fun to just like kind of be yourself and, and show off what's happening in real time right then. Um, I do, uh, I wonder about the implications on data usage though, because since, you know, starting to use and, and, and watch streams on these apps, um, the past two months for the first time, I've gone over my data cap, um, on my phone. So, uh, I think it's, uh, I don't know how, you know, if, if more and more people start using these, you know, how that's going to affect uh, traffic on networks. And then also, um, you know, maybe I, it's time that I get a higher data plan from AT&T. I'm interested because I think I'm waiting for, for sort of the, the bubble to pop on it because it's still fairly new. And it kind of reminds me of how excited people were about Vine when that came out. Um, and, and not to say that Vine's not still around, but I think there was a huge peak of sort of initial uh, activity and interest in it. And then it sort of died down to a more manageable level. Uh, and I think that Periscope might follow a similar pattern where there's a novelty element to it that's cool that you can live stream. But as the practicalities, things like using up your data plan and things like you know, okay, yes, I've seen, you know, this person talking on a live stream so many times now. It's like, what, a, you know, I, I don't have to watch this again. Um, so I think it'll, you know, sort of settle down and become a something that gets used for more, uh, for sort of unique cases where, okay, I'm, I'm live streaming this thing right now that is, you know, you can't see anywhere else or something where, you know, as Jason suggested, people like, like Leo or other uh, people who have sort of big followings can use it to provide like an alternative form of like behind the scenes or like, you know, extra bonus content. So I, I think it will settle down to a more manageable level, but I, I don't think it, that it's going to overtake podcasting anytime soon. I, I hope you're all right because it would be bad for business. But um, <laughs> I, but really, I do agree. I I don't think it's going to take over podcasting. Um, if they if they wisely listen to Jason, all of us should listen to Jason, um, and made these things a little bit more indexed and easy to find after the fact. Uh, right now, your periscopes vanish after 24 hours, uh, which is interesting but goofy long term i think people could start subscribing and start watching them but they're always going to be i think less well produced less prepared than 
than a podcast would be since, you know, you've got to use your phone. You're not going to have great audio. You can have just you there or whoever else is with you in, the, in person. You can't do it with, you know, multi-enders like we're doing right this very moment. Um, but I think, I don't think it's going to follow the Vine trajectory. And again, Vine, I think is a success by many metrics, although not nearly as, you know, huge and dominant as it was when it first launched. But something about that interactivity that you touched on, Jason, is really, it's interesting that I, who am not at all internet famous, um, when I do, uh, when I launch a Periscope and then suddenly there's 150 people watching me do whatever I want. And then there's the hundreds of questions coming in at a time, trying to field all those things and having people respond to you in real time. It's different. It's different from most things on the internet and, um, it's fun, which I think not, I don't think everybody's going to be good at periscoping. Um, I don't want to necessarily watch everybody all the time, but I don't think it's going to go away. I think it's going to have, I think it has longer legs than vine. How's that? Yeah, I think, I think that's, uh, I think, I think you nailed it. Thank you, Lex. That was a good uh, topic. We're halfway through. That means it's time for our halftime sponsor on Clockwise. This episode, Clockwise Halftime, brought to you by 1Password from Agile Bits. It's an essential piece of software uh, for everyone listening to this show. In the digital world we live in now, it can be way too easy to use the same password or simple passwords all over the place. And then one website gets their password database hacked. And suddenly your simple password that you use everywhere is available to hackers and they can log in as you anywhere. So with one password, it'll automatically generate strong passwords. It stores it all in a password database. You remember one password to unlock the box and inside it uses browser plugins to autofill into your login screen. So you don't have to remember the crazy passwords that have like a lowercase u and then three uppercase u's and then a right angle bracket and then a colon and it gets all weird. And how you can ever, how are you going to remember that? You're not, but you don't have to. You just remember the one password that unlocks one password. This is why it's named that. Saves you a ton of time. They just enabled time-based one-time passwords, which is an extra layer of two-step security that more services are employing, so you can be that much more secure. And there's a fancy new login creator in the latest iOS version that supports hundreds of the most popular sites to make it really easy to add your existing logins. And of course, it supports iOS 8 extensions, so it's even easier to autofill in your passwords on iOS. If you're not a 1Password user, change this right away by going to agilebits.com slash 1Password to find out more. And and you can also find 1Password in your app store of choice. Thank you so much to Agile Bits and 1Password for supporting Halftime at Clockwise. Put passwords in their place with 1Password. Time for the next topic. It's my topic, and it is going to be about, uh, yay, Star Wars is coming out on iTunes. It's going to be available digitally for the first time. Yay! <laughs> Everybody already has Star Wars, though, so I'm not quite sure why we're that excited. I think it's interesting that people are simultaneously excited that, it's, that Star Wars is on iTunes and also kind of not interested because if you love Star Wars, you've already got it in some other format. And I wanted to ask the broader question, which is, how do you watch your movies today? Are you, are you using Netflix discs? Are you just streaming on Netflix? Are you renting them or buying them on iTunes? Are you going to your local video store? Ours finally went out of business. Whoever had 2015 in the pool, come and collect your prize. So how are you How are you watching movies today, Christina? Um, so I mostly watch things on either Netflix or Amazon Instant. So like I, I check Netflix first, and then if it's not on there, then I usually buy it on Amazon and watch it and save it on there. Um, my, my boyfriend used to have a, an Android phone. He's a, he's a recent an iOS convert. But so before that, you know, it didn't. So since both of us would, you know, buy things on different platforms, it made sense to, to use Amazon rather than just
just Google or, or just um, or just iTunes. Um, and then I also own exactly three DVDs, which are Star Wars Episode 4, 5, and 6. Um, and so whenever I have a, um, a Star Wars craving, um, I have an old laptop that still has an optical drive. And so I watch them on there. Um, yeah, but other than that, all the movies are digital. I haven't visited a blockbuster. Wait, those went out of business, right? You um, could tell. <laughs> since... Uh, uh, 2005. <laughs> 10 years, um, okay, fair enough. Yeah, and um, I don't really visit the the movie theater very often either. I would rather sit at home and, and watch a movie and be able to pause it if I need to use the restroom or open a new beer um, and be able to drink beer while watching the movie. Yeah, I also rely mainly on Netflix, though I had a very interesting conversation with my parents the other night because they were interested in watching the new uh, the Kimmy Schmidt series. And they're like, but and they only get Netflix discs. <laughs> so I was having to walk them through an explanation of how you could get that. Um, but I I have even though I have a pretty good sized couple shelves here of DVDs, I don't watch them e- even when there's a movie I know I own. I look on Netflix first, uh, and if there's something new that's not on Netflix, I tend to go to iTunes or Amazon and rent it. Um, and I've only just gotten a device that plays Blu-rays, um, and I I own a couple, um, but haven't really tried watching any of them yet. So I'm intrigued to know if that makes a difference. And I don't honestly, weirdly enough, as I mentioned on Six Colors, I don't even own Star Wars on DVD. I actually own two VHS copies and a Laserdisc copy. <laughs> <laughs> I have Nailed a dedicated Laserdisc players that only 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 run Star Wars. Um, but there are, you know, um, I, I think that movies, you know, are increasingly there's there's very little reason to buy them on DVD in my experience. Although I, I do know that there are some some niches where that's helpful. I know a lot of parents who like, you know, buying them and then being able to rip them and watch them and on various devices and stuff without too much trouble. Um, but I think that the uh, the rentals for me tend to work because there are very few movies that I want to actually own forever. Uh, we, too, are a Netflix, Amazon Prime family. And. We do most of our movie watching there. I have, I almost never buy movies from iTunes. I can think of maybe one time that I've ever done it. And it was when the Godfather trilogy was on sale for very cheap. Um, but I, I'm very also hesitant to rent movies. Like when I got Boyhood, I really wanted to see Boyhood, but I don't go to the theater. I have children. And so I got Boyhood when it became available on Amazon and I could have rented it for one price or owned it for a little bit more. And I figured if we ever watched it even twice, it was worth owning versus renting. And I, you know, it's a gamble since I hadn't seen the movie first, because if I hated it, then it was a waste, but the gamble worked out. I liked the movie, so I'll be happy that I can watch it again sometime. And I like this idea of, um, Amazon having all the movies you ever bought be accessible forever or until you know, Amazon goes out of business. I know those are great answers. Um, similarly, we don't rent discs anymore. Every now and then my wife works at the local library. She will bring home a disc from the library. Uh, and if it's not horrendously scratched, we will watch those, but mostly it is either Netflix or it's a, or it's a rental from, from Amazon or from iTunes. And that's just how it is now. So if, if something's not available on streaming, it's like it doesn't exist, which actually troubles me because there, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I probably like to see, but I'm not going to buy it on DVD. And so therefore it just, I just never watch it, which is sort of sad. Christina, uh, you get the last topic today. What do you have for us? So the early Apple Watch reviews came in today, and I was wondering, you know, what are you guys' thoughts on, you know, um, the first impressions that are coming in so far? Uh, Do you have a favorite review that you've seen so far? And is there anything that they haven't been talking about that you're curious to, um, you know, check out for yourself 
once um, once you get your hands on one. Uh, well, I've read several of them so far. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think John Gruber's take is always interesting, and his uh, his sort of write up on Daring Fireball was very good. I think it looks at things from a slightly different angle from a lot of the other tech sites, which are you know looking much more at the broad overall smartwatch category. Uh, and John tends to dive a little deeper, obviously, for the Apple ecosystem. Um, I also liked. I was very interested in uh, Neil Patel's over at The Verge because I think he did a very thorough, in depth sort of like looking at all the different ways you can use your Apple Watch. Uh, and he was a bit more conservative, let's say, about the you know the overall impact of this device. And I think it seems like a lot of the stuff I've read has suggested that you know this is very much a first-generation Apple device and that it has a lot of promise, but it's maybe not entirely come into its own yet. Uh, and so I think that's that's sort of the most interesting thing I'm taking away from this is this is not, you know, a, a device that has sprung fully formed and totally perfect out of Tim Cook's head, um, but rather a usual sort of technology device where it iterates and gets better over time. Um, as for stuff that I, you know, kind of am curious about, um, I think the fitness stuff has been t- touched on a lot, but I'm kind of curious to see how that actually impacts my everyday life. Uh, I think a lot of the notification stuff, I'm kind of interested in playing around and getting a better idea of how I can uh, sort of, you know, tailor that to my own particular needs. Um, and the thing that everybody seems to talk about and really like is the taptic engine and the, the sort of tactile feedback it gives you. So I'm really interested in trying that out firsthand because I, I didn't get a chance in the brief moments I got to use an Apple Watch like six months ago. So lots of interesting stuff, I think, still to come in that development. I, uh, I'm i sticking with my pebble. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, uh, um, I enjoyed the reviews. I, uh, I was intrigued to see that pretty much every review I read talked about how some of the things are stupid. Uh, the animated emojis or the animated emoticons. Um, nobody had anything nice to say about those, um, which is what I would have expected from Apple's demos of them. Um, but the other common element that I read in most reviews, although I don't think Ruber said it specifically, it was a sense that I think was greater than on the iPhone um, or certainly with the iPad of, I'm not exactly sure how to use this device that I have, not where it fits in my lifestyle, which is its own question, but like literally, I don't know what to press when to do different things. And I, most of the reviews I read, and I, I've only read five today. Most of them suggested, um, you know, after a few days you get better at it, but it's, I think it's, Somebody, I don't remember which review it was, unfortunately, but somebody wrote that it's, you know, an unusual first impression for an Apple device because typically you get them, you're like, oh, I know exactly how to use this. But the category and Apple's execution are so new that um, I foresee a a sense of, wait, now what do I do Uh, a couple, you know, with those first couple days? And that's going to be off-putting to some, but I'm still very excited to own it. Yeah, it definitely sounds. Uh, it, it sounds to me like Apple was actually telling the reviewers, "We know it's slow. We're working on it. It'll be fixed with some software updates." Which is interesting because that means when Apple says something like that, they're they're trying to anticipate criticism that's going to come their way. Um, and I think it's good that they try to get out in front of it. At the same time, I have that feeling like never buy a product that. It, that the vendor is promising that they'll fix those features, but they're not fixed yet. Because I tell you, you know, so many times that they never get 
actually fixed. So you can't you can't take it on faith. If it doesn't do it today, wait for it to do it and then buy it. So I thought that was really interesting that Apple was playing um, a sort of a proactive defense there uh, about criticisms that they knew were going to come. Um, I the thing the overarching thing that struck me having read three or four of these reviews now is we all got it I think right the first time on that day on September 9th when they announced it that on that day a lot of us I remember afterward were saying um, that was kind of a lot it doesn't seem very focused it's like they're trying to do a whole lot of things instead of keeping it super focused like the iPhone was and these reviews say that uh, so it sounds like that, you know, w- what it was then was kind of accurate. And although I think Apple's messaging is getting more focused, the product hasn't yet. It'll be interesting to see if over the next year, um, the Apple Watch gets a little sharper focus as they realize sort of what people are actually using it for. And maybe some of the silly stuff, maybe some of the emojis and uh, and recording your heartbeat and sending it to a friend with an Apple Watch will fall by the wayside and uh, and and the product will improve as a result. But I was just struck by that, that that our initial snap judgments about the presentation back in September um, seem to have been pretty accurate based on the reviews. Well, now we don't need to write a review, Jason. We, we, we got it right the first time. That's what I like to hear. Yay. I was kind of struck by um, how a lot of them, you know, uh, you know, it's kind of typical, but typical, but they kind of dance around the criticisms a little bit and, and kind of a... Uh, you know, having, you know, the caveats and stuff. Um, one thing that surprised me was um, a couple of the re- reviews, um, like, noted that the the third-party app experience wasn't that great, and it was kind of difficult to, to load new apps onto there, and apps were kind of buggy. And I wonder if that's just, you know, because they have early units and, um, you know, they're still, you know, close to uh, a couple more weeks before it, it launches for the rest of us. And I'm curious, you know, there's supposed to be a 1,000 or so um apps for this watch that are coming out. And I'm wondering, you know, how buggy is it going to be? Um, you know, how difficult is it going to be to, to load new apps onto the, um, onto the watch and, you know, uh, you know, make sure that they're working properly. Um, so that'll be interesting. And then I think like Dan said, um, I'm, there wasn't a whole bunch about, you know, uh, fitness and exercise and and activity with the watch. And so I'll be curious to check that out myself and see how it fares as a, as an accurate activity tracker and, you know, how, what, to what extent, um, it's useful or if it's, is it more of just, you know, a step tracking Fitbit or can I actually use it for runs and bike rides and it's, uh, you know, accurate. Uh, that was great. We have hit all of four topics. We have just enough time for our bonus topic. This week, our bonus topic is brought to you by Dropbox for Business. Dropbox for Business lets your whole team sync and share files, just like the Dropbox that 300 million users love, but with all the space you need and admin tools to manage and protect company information. Say you've got people working all over in satellite offices, in home offices, they're traveling, they're on the road. Everyone's using different apps, different phones, different computers. Dropbox for Business brings it all together and lets them work together from anywhere. The marketing team in Houston can collaborate on a presentation with the sales team in New York, and then they send it off to the client in LA. It all happens in an instant. Everybody's on the same page, no matter what they're using. And since all those files are in one place, IT can easily manage and secure company data with powerful admin tools that are built into Dropbox for Business. Plus, you can plug into more than 300,000 different apps, everything from Microsoft Office and Salesforce to e-discovery and DLP solutions. Get your free Dropbox for Business trial at dropbox.com slash business. And thank you to Dropbox for Business for sponsoring the bonus question on Clockwise. And that bonus question is, Dan? 
That bonus question, I was struck the other day as I walked outside and opened my mailbox that I, I've started getting, as, as I've moved to a freelance lifestyle, I get a lot more things in the mail, like checks, which is great. But I yeah, I feel like my snail mail has, has dwindled. I was curious to know if you guys get anything uh, interesting in snail mail, or is it all just credit card offers these days? Have you gone entirely electronic as much as possible? I keep as many of my bills on paper as possible because I'm afraid that if they came only to my email, I do such a good job of ignoring my email that I wouldn't pay them. So all my bills still come there, not just credit card offers. And um, the postman loves trying to squeeze Amazon packages that don't really fit into my mailbox into my mailbox. And so that's always a treat. And it's like an extra game because you get to try to get them out again. Uh, the dog, my new puppy, Cody, he gets a, a monthly bark box as well. So that's that's probably the most exciting thing that comes in the mail. I, uh, Amazon packages and stuff, which I don't really count as snail mail. I mean, I don't get, I don't get much in the way of letters, although I think, I think I do get checks from um, Lex's company. I think they still maybe <laughs> mail me a check, which is kind of cool to get. Um, and a sp- sponsor on this and other podcasts that I do, uh, I actually get the loot crate every month, which is kind of fun. And all the kids, I feel like my kids don't have an experience of like, yay, a thing came in the mail as much because people, that doesn't happen. So, uh, that's an ex- example where, where we're actually anticipating receiving something in the mail but this is not a sponsorship for Loot Crate. So that's all I'm going to say about it. (laughs) Yeah, I don't really get anything good in the mail anymore these days, mostly just um, occasional catalogs and coupons. But I did, um, so I I don't know if you guys know, but I used to be a professional ballet dancer. And um, so during that time of my life, I had an aunt that would, I still didn't get that much mail, but my aunt would... um, she got the New York Times and she would cut out clippings of ballet reviews from the New York Times and mail it to me in a greeting card and write me a little note. And that was just like the best thing to get in the mail. And it was like so nice to see I had a card from her, um, you know, especially when I was in college and like really stressed out about classes and stuff. I'd have this lovely little note to cheer me up and remind me that there's life outside of computer homework. <laughs> that's that's pretty cool. My actually my family is still kind of big on cards, so my uncle and my parents still send me cards on like every holiday they feel like they can get away with it. So, a, a nice a nice departure, but uh mostly snail mail has died down and people just send things via Facebook or email yep. now. Mm-hmm. It's all digital. A sad world we live in. Well, that's just all the time that we have for today. It remains for us only to thank our wonderful guests, Lex Friedman. Thank you for being here. Always a pleasure. I thought you said our wonderful guest. That would be Christina Bonington. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you guys. Sorry, Lex. It's okay. Hey. <laughs> I earned it. <laughs> and it just remains for Dan and I to say goodbye, and we'll be back next week, or at least I'll be back next week, and Dan will be who knows where. Somewhere else. Yeah. All right. But until then, we remind you, as always, watch what you say. And no matter where you are, keep watching the clock. In whatever time zone. See you next week. <laughs> Bye, everybody.